0: The Secret Order of the Rolling Duck presents Everyday Meeple I'm Dave Bartlett, this is Steve Haley and Mitch Morris We'd like to talk about our favorite board games why we play them, and why you should check them out Episode 1 Wasteland Express Delivery Service
1: Alright, cool. Um, today we're talking about uh, Wasteland Express Delivery Service, a game from uh, Pandasaurus, designed by Matt Riddle, Ben Pinchback, uh, Jonathan Gilmore. And it's a, it plays one to five. It's a pick up and uh, deliver game, primarily. Uh, and It's a ton of fun. We just finished playing it, and we want to share with everybody why we like it so much.
0: Thematically, it's about, uh, you're in a post-apocalyptic kind of world and you're working for a trucking company and you're uh, picking up uh, guns and water and food and delivering it around the board as well as modifying your truck and uh,
2: fighting bad guys. Uh, I can read from the from the publisher sure. there, uh, so the publisher, which is source Games, writes, Wasteland Express Delivery Service is the debrave, depraved brainchild of a superstar team of acclaimed designers John Gilmore, Dead of Winter, Matt Riddle, and Ben Pinchback of Fleet and Morocco, brought to Technicolor Life by award-winning comic artist Ricardo Brucelli, mm-hmm. uh, who's worked with uh, DMZ is, uh, and Batman, Black and White, uh, Vertigo
1: Comics, and Yeah, Vertigo DC, Comics, mostly, I think.
2: Uh, to create the perfect marriage of emergent thematic gameplay and balanced strategy. You take on the role of the half-insane drivers of the last delivery company left on Earth, the Wasteland Express Delivery Service. In order to scratch out a living in this deranged universe, drivers will deliver goods and guns between the handful of settlements pockmarked throughout the hellscape that you call home and take on missions from the handful of factions still trying to hold on to the last dregs of civilization. Of course, none of this is easy. Inhabiting the post-apocalyptic wasteland are unhinged characters set on unleashing mayhem at every turn. If you want to survive, you'll have to battle through the psycho raiders who occupy the void between the cities. Maybe the world can be saved. Maybe you can bring humanity back from the brink. Band the world back together to fight back against the void. Then again, what the... do you care? You're here to get paid and live another day free. Outfit your truck, get loaded for... bear? sure <laughs> hire some allies get paid and just keep on trucking
1: so I really feel like that spiel that pandasaurus provided speaks to one of the uh the aspects of the game that make it so appealing initially which is the theme they put like, a ton of work into the thematics of this game um and without before even speaking about anything else I feel like it's probably worth talking uh, about the theme I mean which just gave a ton of flavor mm-hmm. as to why it's so cool,
0: and the writing is clear. It, like throughout the the rulebook, the, the rules are fairly clear, and uh, and the and the, the flavor text is all all real rich. So, like you say, the the writing I think is a is a highlight of this game right from the start.
1: Mm-hmm. You mentioned Riccardo Bertelli, which um, I know we we uh, Mitch passed on to us in in a recent in the past week or so. This kind of designer diary that's on Board Game Geek. We'll, we'll put a link in the show notes or something to it. Um, this kind of really detailed design diary of the process that these guys went through when designing this game, and you know it jumped around from different uh, kind of themes, from like space, Vikings, which sounded really cool and probably will be a game at some point, uh, I'm sure. Uh, into uh, went from that to recruiting the help of uh, Jonathan Gilmore, Dead Winter guy, like you said, and he it seems like he kind of prodded them in the direction of a uh, wasteland, post-apocalyptic stuff.
2: Yeah, I think he walked away with. Space Vikings then came back with the with the post-apocalyptic skin on it, mm-hmm. and uh, from there they also changed the scoring, because they had done a scoring track up until that point, and they switched to a contract system to win the game, which yeah. I think Unreal. everybody ended up being really happy with, and I think it Im- immerses you so much more. Whenever mm-hmm. there's a scoring track, I don't think you can get as involved with the theme, It
0: almost takes away the fact that you're playing a board game because you don't have this track going around the board keeping score. It just, like you say, the the immersion it puts you there. It almost becomes a bit of a a tabletop role-playing game in a way. You know, you really Mm -hmm. feel like you get into your character as you're moving around the board and you're just, you know, taking one task at a time almost. Mm -hmm.
2: And I think it adds a little tension because you don't know where other people are at.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) It was a really good call removing the Euro uh, victory point track from this game. Absolutely. Um, and you know, my understanding is that Matt Riddle, Ben Pitchbacker, Euro guys haven't played any of their other games. Um, but it would really detract from the theme if we were oh saying oh just made a delivery that's uh, five victory points count around the board oh I just defeated a Raider that's another that's five victory points for you Dave oh where are you at in victory points Mitch oh we're supposed anyway it would just like detract from the kind of immersion that this game provides. I
2: think the uh, one of the things that works for that type of system is is balancing right because you can always find a way to balance how everybody's playing Uh, and i'm i'm shocked at how well balanced this is for how uh, massive it seems to be Mm -hmm. for, for what you can do and like every game we've played has been you know, maybe it's another forty-five minutes till somebody else can win. But everybody feels close. You know, like right. mm-hmm. rarely. And even mm-hmm. if you feel like you're really far behind, you feel like I'd like to play for another hour and a half because mm-hmm. I think I can catch up. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I,
0: and I think that you you brought up a really good point as as well. Um, not only balanced, and and the lot not the last game we played, but the game before that, we were all all four players were within a turn or two. Uh, Of winning, but I like the fact again going back to the victory point thing that um, when someone starts laying down their stamps, you have to get three stamps to win the game. And when someone puts down their first stamp, you're thinking, okay, well, priority first first
2: class contracts. That's right, priority first
0: class contracts. You have to fulfill three of those in the game, and once you start, once people start putting down their second stamp, it seems like the game just really picks up. Uh, it, it really accelerates for uh, for you know to use a, a, a thematic term, um, and then you, the tension kind of ramps up, and then you're like, oh, I got to catch up. I got to you know it, it really uh, you know but it, it all it, it kind of the, the tension ramps up really kind of gradually to a certain point, and then it's like full rev the engine's warmed up, and you're you're racing through the desert trying to catch up at that point, and you can and you you, you know even if you are like you say feeling behind, you you do have opportunity sometimes to catch up.
2: Yeah, it definitely. Uh Feels like it's taking any long time to get somewhere, and then it always seems to finish really quickly. Mm-hmm. It seems like, oh man, you know, you're you're not gonna be able to get that far. Yeah, yeah once someone someone's has, getting away, and then all of a sudden everything comes together, and like you can finish.
1: Yeah, like Dave said, once someone gets their second contract, it's kind of uh, could be over at any moment. You don't really realize some. It feels that way. Mm -hmm.
2: And I think the the action selection, so uh, when you're playing you have uh, basically a dashboard for your truck, and you have uh, it's an action selection board where each round you have five uh, tokens that you can slide to do particular actions, and this, I think, really does the work of balancing the game, uh, where you can't, you have to manage what you're able to do in this round and you can't do too much during that round to get ahead, so you can't. You have to really watch what's going on, and if you screw that up, uh, it hurts. Uh, but like, like I was just saying as I was finishing this game, where the bonus action where you have to actually stop for some of the big ones and do a full round action in order to to finish, that really slows things down, so everybody does have a chance to to maybe catch up if you're getting ahead. Uh, and just only being able to deliver twice, or the outpost twice, or sell once, mm-hmm. uh, really does a good job of keeping everybody close.
0: Mm-hmm. And the visual aspect of these dashboards too, I mean, really kind of teach you to get the game.
2: That's the other thing I'd love to say right there too, where the art uh, by Ricardo, uh, he didn't do all of the graphic design stuff, he did the pretty, and it's fantastic, and it's great, and. Uh, there's one of the guys, Jason Kingsley, who did mm-hmm. the graphic design, and I think there was a few others. Uh, that is, I think, just as important as as the main art, because uh, just the way everything ties together, the way everything has the disheveled look, and uh, is very clear. Like so many games that have this much iconography, can get confusing. In this mm-hmm. game, where the learning curve is pretty steep, uh, our first game was about three hours from from out of the box uh, to finishing, and uh, well, Who is that? The Watch It Played uh, video where they have yeah, yeah. a QR code on the box to go straight to that video. That video explains, it basically downloads the information straight in your head, so then to pass that on, uh, you 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 know the setup like you've played it several times just from watching that video, and then it's just referencing the rulebook to get everything straight as well, you play.
1: I, I think it should be noted, uh, just to be uh, upfront, this is like our first time doing this kind of podcast, that we are not going to be talking in the... Ex- extreme <laughs> detail about how to play uh, all yeah. the components of this game. That you can go watch the how it's played that, that Mitch just mentioned, uh, and I think it's really we just want to give our take on what we like it so much. We might ramble a little bit. Um, I would like to steer it back into like kind of like areas. To uh, we started talking about theme without really uh, you gave the big spiel at the beginning that Pandasaurus provided, but the theme uh, is is all over this game. You talked about the action boards. You talked about Ricardo's art. That was. Uh, um,
2: what I was just saying too with the graphic design—the graphic design yeah. put that together, mm-hmm. you know, like that's yeah. that's where it all. I think the Jason Kingsley and and whatever else was on the team pulled that theme together and mm-hmm. made all of that work uh, really well.
0: Totally, yeah. outside if, of the thematic bits, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, if you're at all interested format, in
1: yeah. uh, you know post-apocalyptic wasteland uh, stuff, if you play games like Fallout, if you like Mad Max movies, if you. You know this post-apocalyptic kind of stuff everywhere uh, today. But if you're interested in like this is, this is the kind of game for you. I, I skimmed the rule book last night. I was telling you guys earlier. Uh, and it actually made the game we just played a lot more interesting for me I was reading in the rule book about the various factions Uh, you can take jobs in this game from three different uh, main factions in the wasteland you can take from the archivists uh, which are these kind of old school uh, group of people who want to return the world to its previous state with old technology uh, and things like that and then their missions are as such maybe they're looking for certain things um, the New Republic Army were this kind of fascist military group that kind of dominated the wasteland and uh, until some sort of an important battle at like a Silo 16 or Silo 42 or whatever. Uh, kind of put them in their place and they backed off so the wasteland does not, like, doesn't feel their presence anymore. Then you have this really cool, my favorite faction, the Oracles of Ceres, who blame humanity for its down, the downfall uh, that, that got everyone to this point in this wasteland. And they're trying to take things back to a more like... Mother Nature, <clears throat> kind of, kind of place, and to do so, they're making these presumably human sacrifices, and their missions are, are really interesting. Have you going on kind of vision quests and doing mm-hmm. strange chickens. things? They could have been sacrificing chickens. Yeah. They could be sacrificing chickens. Yeah. But but
0: you know that all sounds really really dark, and you would almost expect a really dark theme from a <coughs> post-apocalyptic game. But the great thing about this game, compared to another kind of post-apocalyptic theme game that I've been playing called Saltlands recently, is that that one is really really. Um, uh s- stressful because you're just trying to survive. This one here has a really kind of black humor. There's a lightheartedness um both from the color colorfulness of the tiles and the, and the graphic novel kind of look for it, but there there's a sense of humor in the writing and even though it's kind of got this darkness, there's something kind of really kind of smoky and the bandit kind of uh fun uh not really camaraderie but like a like a like um like a uh what's the word I'm looking for that that kind of um uh, friendly competition, mm-hmm. I, I guess, you know, and while there's some dark stuff going on with these raiders and things, uh, you never feel overwhelmed by this uh, crushing despair or anything. It's, the game is super, super fun, and I think part of it is that light-hearted theme to it.
1: Well, even looking at some of these raiders, which are hilarious art, um, there's some kind of uh what well, I want to call maybe like S and M or kind of like a masochistic kind of art going on. A lot of kind of hilarious looking dudes with Just chapless. Classic eighties
2: uh, post-apocalypse. Yeah, <laughs> that's a that's an art term I think.
1: Nipple clamps and then and, then and, and buttless chaps. Is that how you what do you call those things? I so. Don't yeah, uh, I
2: don't think chaps have butts ever. Okay, it's true though.
1: Also, I, I, as poem. much as I you know Pulp Fiction and that whole character of the Gimp kind of still disturbs me, but this is that guy. Yeah, there's a Skullmaster looks like a gimpy kind of slave. So, yeah, there's some humor, there's some dark weirdness to it all. It's all beautiful to look at.
2: And there's still uh, great Euro stuff going on, too, like the economic system where everything is is constantly changing based on the demand on the board, where you, you buy something, you sell something, the costs change, the, well, the. The price changes, not mm-hmm. the cost. So and it's super like, easy to manage. Super easy to manage. They they've built a, a nice dial where you just track your prices as oh, they we'll go. Come back to that. It's really easy to to adjust whenever you have to. Everything is
1: I think you could literally strip the theme from it. This could be about delivering mail in pastoral France, and the game would still work oh, yeah. really well me- uh, mechanically. Um, bicycle couriers. and yeah, yeah, you could do that, and it could be a straight-up Euro game. You could go back to the Victory Point Tracker, and it would still work. I want to um, play that game where you mod up your bicycle. <laughs> Put a little rocket launcher on the back of your bicycle. You just get a, a an ally that... You, you can double on your bike. There you can carry an extra package. <laughs> um, it'd be really friendly, but mm-hmm. it, w- it just speaks to that. Those guys, these guys, are good game designers, mm-hmm, and yeah, it could work fantastic. without the theme. The theme yeah. is just this kind of added uh, cherry on top, if you if you like this kind of thing, for sure.
0: And beyond the look and all, like the game itself is fantastic. But I think it, this should come up because we talked about the game, de- uh, the design diary, and I think the one thing that really has impressed us about this game is the way the game is packaged. And you take oh, yeah. it out of the box, it sets up super easy, like the components that everything goes in In the box comes out of the box and becomes your tabletop, you know, resource management thing and, and the way the cards all stacked into each other, um, you know, they went, they really, really did go that extra mile. With, with storage, which speeds up. I think they were saying in the game desi- uh, uh, design diary that it used to take 40 minutes to set up this game, and they would got it down because of the way it's packaged to five to eight minutes.
2: Uh, they have a video, I don't know if, I don't remember if this was Kickstarter or whatever, but whenever this was not yet out, uh, they had a video uh, where they were going to one of the cons, and they sh- it's just a video of, of him setting up and t- or tearing down uh, eight minutes out of the box. Shows how everything... Sets up, and yeah, that was like early on. Uh, I was showing Steve this game when I'd first seen it uh, for for the art. I would showed him this game and uh, what was the the metal uh, dungeon crawl? Oh crawling, right,
1: right. Oh god, uh, I forget what that's called. Uh, she, Anyways, I wish I could yeah, remember that we'll right now. Out, but but notes. those
2: were the two games. I was just like, this is my favorite art I've seen in games yet. Uh, just stands
1: out so much, yeah. and so does the one I can't remember, and I feel yeah. terrible mm-hmm. for not remembering. No, we'll, we'll figure it out. Put it in the notes. Um, to, yeah, to speak to the game trays, and then this that game trays right It's uh, like the gold standard and how a game should be packaged. I know it's not possible for every single game company to probably do it. Um, I just backed Gloomhaven uh, on Kickstarter just. I got it a couple months ago, uh, and that game has so much stuff. You need a com- you need an insert for it. I'm being the chump that I am, went and bought like an $80 insert for that game, took me forever to put it together, and it still doesn't pack in the box as nice as this game packs into the box. Yeah. And I honestly feel like a lot of gamers, a lot of hobby gamers, um, <clears throat> like we're you know, slowly becoming over the years, um, most would probably pay $20 more to have quality like inserts in the well, game.
0: Think of how much time you can be
2: gaming and not setting up. Right there.
1: This I game mean, is not even expensive considering
2: that. Like, no, exactly. We're in Canada. You can go to any game store, and it's like a hundred dollars.
1: And we're also yeah. like going into a world where, you know, within a decade or something, a lot of people are just going to have their own personal 3D printers. There's almost like no excuse why you couldn't print a custom tray that fits a game box. Sure. When games are becoming increasingly more complex, increasing a mm-hmm. number of components, uh, it should be the gold standard. I hope this game really like picks up in popularity, and people call game companies out to say. You have to package your game as good as Wasteland Express, or we're not going to buy it, which isn't going to happen. But you know,
0: but but it's too it's too bad it wouldn't happen because yep. you're right. It it is it is such a huge bonus to an already fantastic game. Um, Absolutely, because like you said, like I said, you know, more time, less time to set up, more time to play, and that's what it's all about when you're when you're gaming. Yeah, totally. Um, I also we should probably just mention too. uh, I think our plan is for an upcoming episode, so stay tuned. Is to talk about Gloomhaven. That's going to be one of our uh, uh, early podcasts that we got planned because we have been playing that quite a bit too. So that's a teaser for uh, for what's up next.
2: Totally. Go ahead, Mitch. Uh, Value wise for this game, uh, Melissa, my wife got this for Christmas for me. Uh, She she was gonna pick between this and Jamaica, she picked this because she knew I wouldn't buy it for myself because nice. I tend to buy games that I, I think will all play. And she, she loves the game, so automatically win-win. Uh, but the way I look at value for games, uh, whoever you're playing with, on like spending a pint of beer, you can drink a pint of beer, an hour, I, st- I haven't drank in a long time, so five dollars is the way I tend to do it, five dollars per person per hour. And we've played this five times now since Christmas, which is yep. fantastic. Yep. And we've played with four, four, five, four, and three people. So I mean, it's already in that respect earned its money back, sure, uh, instantly. Mm-hmm. Like it's yeah, oh, totally. Yeah,
1: and I do something similar with games. Uh, I'm smirking because speaking of pints of beer, I like have to mention the fact that the first time I played this <laughs> game, like, two, three days after you got it for Christmas, uh, I came over and in and, a and, 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 In a moment of emotional panic, I I spilled a quarter of a pint all over these beautiful components. Uh, Made a beer
0: delivery to a few uh,
1: outposts. Oh man, I'm still sweating over it. I'm 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 re I'm I'm having a traumatizing (laughs) flashback of it happening again. and that hurts. Anyone listening who uh, you know is protective over their games or doesn't like to see things get damaged that they, they love like this. That was, I wanted uh, to be
2: able to say it was okay, but I yeah. couldn't say that until the next day.
1: <laughs> Happy ending to the story, hopefully. Uh, I, I contacted Pandasaurus, got this amazing customer service, a, a quick back and forth with uh, Nathan. And they're sending a replacement price. They're already in the mail. That's crazy. That is fantastic. I've offered great. to pay. I've offered uh, to do things. I promise I'm going to buy Dinosaur Island, which looks fantastic. Um, but yeah, great, this is, great this customer is a,
2: service. Uh, a quick thing with the whole board game world that we're we're, I mean, we've always been interested in board games. We're newish to to the new world of board games, mm-hmm. and uh, it stuns me how fantastic the board game world is. Where these fantastic productions in my head, you know, it's a, it's a huge company, it has to be a huge company to produce something this fantastic, and it's like, it's Nathan and Molly, uh, who are Pantosaurus, and,
1: you know, yeah, and it happens so many times
2: where it's yeah. just, oh wow, that's got to be a huge company, and it's like, it's one guy in his living room. Uh, just yeah. putting out games and it's
0: mm. amazing. Uh, I would want to bring up something too that you, you touched on. That, that your wife Melissa, who's played a couple games of this with us, and uh, one
2: uh, and uh, their second game. Yeah, one right. second yeah. game.
0: Um, she she's a more casual gamer than us, but certainly enjoys games. Um, but that's, she is not intimidated. Mostly,
2: yeah, well, yeah. By I, this th- game. I think that's the thing. She she plays smaller, quicker games because she's intimidated by learning mm-hmm. uh, something that seems immense. So she put that aside. Uh, basically, this one she wanted to jump in before it got away from her. Mm-hmm. Where other games we go and learn, and then she doesn't want to come play with us because she doesn't want to have to learn while we already know. Mm-hmm. Right. Right? Because yep. it's a big learning curve, mm-hmm. yep. and that, that intimidates her. So, this one she jumped in uh, as the first game play uh, and learned it, and, and was, you know, just loved how once you get past that that initial curve. Right. The gameplay is so simple, and everything is so intuitive, and everything works so well. Visually laid out in front of you, yeah. And because of the the action selection uh, stuff, I was immediately that night, I said, you know, this game you you love, like, you can go play Scythe now, because it's the s- same concept for action selection, and that the, as soon as you get past what things are... The gameplay is so simple, and your decisions, as as big as they are, are sort of one at a time. Right. Yeah. And uh, y- yet and I think Scythe is a simpler game. Sure. And yet, but yet,
0: in both cases, both Scythe and, and not that she uh, needs
2: a simpler game. She she kicks our butts at this She, game. she does,
0: and <laughs> and in many games. Um. But you know, not to mention like Scythe, like uh, which you bring up, like this game here, Wasteland Express Delivery Service, and like the, a game I mentioned, Saltlands, a little while ago. These games seem kind of complex, but but honestly. Um, uh, what what I love about all three of those games are the turn-by-turn mechanisms on all three games is pretty simple. It's not hard to figure out. Once you kind of get over that, that being worried about so much stuff to keep in mind, the turn-by-turn thing is very, very simplistic. But in all three games, what they also have in common, and this is my favorite thing about that, that you know, make my favorite games, and this is why Wasteland Express right now is probably my favorite game, it's that it's simple to learn. But the strategy to win is constantly changing, it's constantly challenging you as a player against yourself, let alone your competition of the other players. But I love those games where, you know, okay, now I got this game, now how do I win? How do I figure out the best strategy? And there's not one strategy and I love those games where you can win a variety of different ways and this is another example.
2: And this one with, with the, the mods you can do to your truck and the different ways you can do stuff, uh, you can, from player to player, you can put in more luck and less luck Mm -hmm. just on how you want to play. If you don't like as much luck then you you go and you buy the the shield the, the rad shield that protects you from the radiated squares. You buy extra gunners. You buy extra machine guns. Mm-hmm. So the dice rolling's mitigated. You can get rid of a lot of a lot of the luck. Not all of it because stuff changes. There's an event every round yeah. that that changes how the world is working. There is uh, all of the demand tokens and sale tokens change at random. So there there's always going to be random stuff, but you can mitigate a lot of that if if you're not you know someone who enjoys much luck hmm. uh like robbie always plays with a rad shield and i rarely do because right. I, i'll just go through the space
1: and you know, push your luck and push my luck and take and damage okay. if
2: i want and it just it just adds i mean i figure the driver i'm playing he's like eh, he doesn't want to do that he's just yeah. gonna
1: go i'm gonna put a shield on when to drive yeah. through this muck uh, and it's, a, it's an awesome point uh, there is a lot of luck in this game but i think kind of what makes it a strategic game still like a casual game for the most part once you get over the little hump um but the built-in luck is there, like you said, the event cards and the the market can change and random kind of demand tokens can come out or whatever. Um, but you can waste your turn if you're not good at this yeah. game, oh, which I yeah. think is what will make you win or lose. Like right. if you you can you can make missteps, you can yeah. uh, you can hop through a, ra- a radiated zone, which is just one move to get through, take the risk of, of getting damaged, uh, or you can take like a, a four space move to go around it. You need to really be able to process uh, a few turns ahead to be like: Should I go through? The, should I take the risk? Go through the rad zone to get to where I need to go, or should I take the long route? And you can end up wasting turns if yeah. you're not playing well.
0: And, and the more you play this game, the more you realize to win, especially every turn counts. Every turn. Counts. And that's where that, like I said, that learning curve, that strategy comes in. Like you know, do I? Oh, I can go there, but you know what? If I do this first, maybe I'm better off. And that, that's all just comes with experience.
2: Uh, and that ends up being one of the negatives for the game, where. Uh, there is a huge gap when you teach a new player. Yeah. So if you've been playing and you wanna bring in someone new, they're not gonna win. There's just like if they win it's all wow, you know, gonna be Beginner's lucky lucky, yeah. lucky yeah. for them because knowing how the game works, you have a yeah. huge advantage for this, which is which is unfortunate. But I don't I don't I email mean, I don't think it's No. We're not gonna bring in, you know, anybody that we know that we're gonna play with is going to want to play the game and it'll be fun. And, and like we're that. going to bring them in to play that for the third game. We're going yeah. to play them maybe, but
1: right. Well, there's a really cool uh, quote on the design. I, I wrote it down. I'm not going to quote it directly, but I think it's from Matt. I know I might be wrong about that. Uh, but he says something along the lines of I think of, Matt uh, and
2: Ben are one person. The way they they're the way they talk about kind so it's it. yeah, so yeah, I think you're maybe fine. Maybe
1: either or. Uh, they say that kind of the game mechanisms get out of the way in this game and the th- let you fully immerse in the theme. I think. They're gonna say that because they've playtested this game probably like 300 times, and that's yeah. exactly what happens. I'd say about halfway through your second game that starts to happen, right. and the mechanisms start yeah. start moving aside and feel less like mechanics in a game and more like part of what you're doing. Sure. So like picking your actions on your like your action card, which is designed like a pretty much like the cab in your truck, like control panel on a transport truck. Um, once you have the rules down, you stop thinking about the mechanics, and it really does feel yep. like you're driving a truck and you're yep. upgrading, uh, putting mods in your truck, putting a trailer on a truck, your gun in your truck. Um, but yeah, that there is like a one game, a game sure. and a half learning curve to get in.
0: Yeah, and, and but I have to say, one of the one of my favorite things about gaming is learning a new game and figuring out how this game is similar to other games I like, or just dissimilar, what's new about it, and all this kind of stuff. And um, I'm less competitive, I'm a less competitive player per- than both of you guys, probably, for sure. I, and when I'm playing um, a game for the first time,
2: I'm just kind of trying stuff like, what will happen if I do this? What would happen if I, you I'll know... Play. I play every game like that. I'll do, I, I, I like losing. Uh, I have a guilt complex if I win too much because I feel, like, <laughs> I feel like people won't want to play with me if I if I won too much. So I like to, not true. No. <laughs> so I, I I enjoy losing because I feel like it's gonna get. You know somebody somebody won and they're gonna get more excited and and I want to try again mm-hmm. immediately I will yeah. I will lose a three hour game and I want to, let's set it up again yeah. but everybody goes home because we're sleepy right. uh, so I don't mind I, and I love yeah. trying everything but this game is slightly different for that because yeah. I really like the bus mini so I needed to be the bus mini a couple right. times in a row but well,
0: you <laughs> know this one here is a pleasure to learn was my point actually yeah, yeah, and totally. I just want to say that like even when you don't learn. know what you're doing it's so much fun mm-hmm. that you forget you don't care if you're losing you just want to keep like you mentioned that earlier on Mitch too that it's the type of game that when it's over, you're kind of like, man, I wanted to play for another forty five minutes. Yeah. Like it's it's yeah. and it is a long game, but it, the, the time just flies. And
1: once you get it down, it, it is true to the box time. You play about an hour and a half, maybe two hours with four or five. Yeah, well, um, what was the, what we played the a time four, time four player game in an hour and a half. We did half the, the last four
2: player game was an hour and a half. How much? Yeah. How long was the game this, this morning? This one was
1: uh, about an hour and a half. Yeah, about an players. hour and a half.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. And we were kind of. You know, lolly gagging lollygagging
1: a little bit too and um, Mitch men- uh, mentioned um, mini as a second ago he loves the bus mini and I think it's worth pointing out oh, that uh, you know like a lot of modern games coming out these days the components in this game uh, we spoke to the action cards a little bit and the the trays the 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 trays for the box uh, but the actual components the the truck miniatures are just so awesomely detailed the Raider trucks have little uh, you can just look online have little uh, cabs in the back that you put the resources in they Even fit the in there resources yeah, the are resources are sculpted the resources these are sculpted these really little great. food crates Instead these little weapon crates mm-hmm. um, the water barrels uh, the uh, the scrap, the currency in the game is all kind of composed of different scrap uh, left leftover kind of little
0: uh, mm. washers and yeah. washers metal and, punched the, out. The damage yeah.
1: tokens too are kinda of cool. The damage tokens are cool. Yeah. The um, yeah. I have one I have one
2: complaint, second
1: complaint for the game. Mm. Uh, there are six playable characters,
2: but only five <laughs> sets of action selection cogs. Uh, it's the only thing I feel like why did you skimp on that?
1: Yeah. And then it could it easily mean, be a six player game.
2: If somebody picks uh, one of the things, you just got to pull out something to find yeah. another set of cogs, because they
0: yeah, that was weird Yeah, that was a
1: weird choice, for sure.
0: And, and I certainly don't think it's a it's going to put some extra
1: cubes in the sixth hole, I think. Maybe you're getting there ready you for an expansion. No, Maybe. No. It's <laughs> but, inevitable.
0: The the one another thing that it it really doesn't bother me, but it's certainly one thing that we one mistake we make over and over again. Um, Each player has four standees, and three are basically (laughs) just stamps that you just put on when you when you get these priority contracts out of the way. The fourth standee is a kind of a black and white standee with an X through it, and you're supposed to move that. Um, at the last place you delivered something to, uh, because you can't deliver to the same place twice. You have to deliver someone else then you move the standee to that place, then you can go back to the other place. The problem is, many times, because you put your standee on the thing that your miniature is on, you have a habit of picking up that standee, you want to move that standee to where you want to go, and then you realize, oh no I moved, you know, I should have moved my truck, not my standee. And you were moving
2: somebody else's standee today. I know. It's just a programming we have of the standees as your your people. it, it, It is,
0: but I wouldn't even call it a drawback, it's just something that kind of humorously happens again and again. Yeah, it, it's, it, you know, again, it adds to that uh, that black humor of the game, I think. And right?
2: replayability so. too for the components still. Uh, the whole board, it's a 16, it's 4x4 four four grid of these oct- octagons, are they? Yep. Uh, and they, everything is shuffled and redone. Uh, we've played it five times now. All of the cities fit between the octagons and uh, it's all laid out randomly. So there is a, a series of eight campaigns which we haven't even touched on because we just randomly set up the board and it feels different every time. We love campaigning. It's yeah, gonna, and it's going to happen. And we love campaigning. Yeah. I haven't bothered with that yet because it's just it hasn't felt like the freshness has gone at all. Yeah. Five, right. five plays in and yeah. you know, yeah. the and shuffling works great for yeah. being and new
0: every time. And let's face it, beyond Gloomhaven and Near and Far and a number of D&D campaigns. We've got a lot of campaigning on the go right now, so hey, let's just enjoy this one and we'll, we'll break the camp... I'm looking forward to doing the campaign, yeah, but we can... There's, I mean, no rush to do it, because I just love the game, like you so said. The other
2: thing, too, like the, just so everybody knows, too, the campaign is not... It's not... Uh... Linear. It's not well. It's, they've built a linear story. Oh, they have. Okay. But you can play it at random. You can pick right. any of the campaigns and just set it up and play. You're, there's no development for your character. It's just making sure nothing, you get all the priority yeah, contracts. They have built a story. Yeah. That you can follow. Which it's, is cool. It's not that you progress uh, through that. Again, you don't level up. No. And but.
1: again, the game's thematic enough that uh, you can, you know, depending on how well you like to immerse yourself in a game and role play a little bit, mm-hmm. you can create a role playing experience out of sure. this game if you wanted. Yeah. Uh I do. It's fair to say we like r- love this game, uh, I personally think Pandasaurus are probably uh, rising kind of stars in the so. game industry, I could see more uh, good things coming from them, I've just watched reviews of Dinosaur Island, I would buy that tomorrow if I could, it's uh, pre-orders are sold out in stores around here and online in Canada, um, it'll be available soon. Uh, I, I'm going to say we shift gears a little bit here.
0: Sure we can, yep.
1: Anything, have any final thoughts on Wasteland Express? I mean, it's amazing. We recommend checking it out. Um,
0: right. I just have a quick question, and and I'm just curious if you know off the top of your head that it's just not worth worth looking up, but uh, do they recommend you play with a random uh, mini truck character, or do, are you allowed to pick, or does it matter? But I'm just curious what the rules recommend. I don't or... remember
2: it saying one way or another, yeah. and I can't see that it would... I doubt it matters.
0: Yeah, because I I would say, like, even though some people, like, you were saying you wanted to try the bus, but after playing it a couple times, you wanted to try the other minis, and changing characters really adds replayability to the game as well.
1: There's so...
2: There's such little, like, there's no huge player power for the different ones. They just give you a couple bonus starting things, and I, I think the key thing would be to pick your buses before you pick your... Uh, priority first class contracts because you you would then you can base pick you your out. truck yeah. based on that absolutely yeah. uh, so just just for the fun uh, pick your trucks first yeah however random or not mm-hmm. uh, some give you better combat some give you better uh, storage for shipping stuff so you're gonna get money faster yeah uh, the some one starts with a trailer things. which. Trailers work yeah. as armor, as far as we're concerned. Yeah. When I play
1: any kind of thematic game, what I recommend doing is uh, go to the rule book. There's little bio sections for each of the characters in there. Uh, just skim their bios and pick one that you relate to a little bit or would like to play as, and kind of like get into that character and, and then just go for it.
2: Especially for the first game, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I wish there was uh, an audio uh, track of the storylines and and the information in the book that you could listen to, thematically recorded. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as you're playing, you could have sort oh. of a history lesson of the wastelands mm-hmm. playing that reads out uh, about the factions and about the world. Uh, just because when you're starting to play the game and learn, that that yeah. adds an extra. Sure. Like I wanted to yeah. read them the first night, but we ended up with three hours of yeah. explaining and playing. It's not something you want to do so right, too, right away. <laughs> To read, like I skimmed through the the main uh, bit of writing, but I didn't read the. Factions yep. and stuff. So it'd be nice to have yeah. that. So How much do that? Good we work. should
1: do that. Yeah, we, know, we could it. do it. Put on our best role playing voices. And there you uh, go. Well, and, and it's funny because what well,
0: I was thinking it would be really fun if there was a little app, especially for the event, even just for the event cards to read the read the flavor text every day right. to just get a, get like you know even through a dispatcher yeah. radio to, right. to give it like yeah, that yeah. sound like <laughs> yeah, today's yeah. challenges. You know, uh, you know, uh, deliveries are only two dollars each today. But you know, to give it that yeah, a little bit of flavor. Yeah. I mean, and it would be a fairly easy thing to do because you just. You you know need someone to record the voice voice tracks of the what dozen or so uh, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, any event any cards way. yeah there and you then, go you know and that, and that way you could use it as a selector instead of having you know I mean in the in this case it, having one less deck of cards on the table is not is a pretty minor mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't save a whole lot of space so but
2: uh, but that would also work where you could do all of the faction cards sure. so whenever someone flips over a faction yeah. card they could click that one yeah and, yeah. and have be, a nice be absolutely cool. yeah
0: yeah
2: and then you could keep playing without having to actually uh, read
1: it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna try to switch gears again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we uh, try to <laughs> here, on, here, here on everyday Meepo, uh, You know, like Mitch had mentioned earlier, we are new to the uh, hobby game uh, world. Newer, I would Newer, say. Newer. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe like past five, six years, yeah. and past few years at really trying to dig in. Um, we kind of want to provide our own, our own perspective, our own experience. Uh, we have a bunch of diverse interests, uh, and on this show, we we hope to be able to pair uh, with the board game that we're talking about, pair it with other things that we're interested in in our lives that kind of match the yeah. theme or Pop culture fit. pairings. Pop culture pairings. Yeah. If you like Wasteland Express and you like this post-apocalyptica, well, maybe you'd like to read this, or maybe you should go watch this, maybe you should listen to this, or, or, or whatever. Um, can I start us off yeah. with, uh, yeah, please do. with with my pop culture pairing? If we're going with that for now? Sure. Um, well, I thought right away when I came, and I, before I even was even sure about it and I looked at the box, I was like this art looks really familiar to me. And sure enough after digging in a little bit and finding out it was Riccardo Bercelli, if that's how you pronounce his name, um, he is the artist on a Vertigo comic book series called DMZ by Brian Wood um, for Vertigo Imprint, DC's Vertigo Imprint. and That book fits this theme really well, partly because the art looks very similar. But DMZ is this kind of story, I think you guys would dig it. I recommend reading it, you can borrow it from me anytime. Uh, DMZ is a demilitarized zone. It's in Manhattan, set in Manhattan. Manhattan is a demilitarized zone uh, between uh, two warring factions in, the, in America's Second Civil War. And on one side you have uh, the federal U.S. government, uh, who were kind of uh, in a battle, in its in kind of conflict with the Free Armies, Or this is kind of militia, various militia groups that rose up and uh, fought the army. I forget exact where, some state, uh, some midwestern state or something. Um, And basically, I feel like Brian Wood wrote this, two thousand six or two thousand five. It came out in response to like nine eleven, terrorism, um, and the U.S.'s willingness to get involved in uh, affairs overseas in war affairs. And I think he wanted to the militias in the group I think rose up because of that because their country was getting involved in things they shouldn't be involved in and the militias are a response to being sick of their their government doing that which is kind of interesting Um, thinking about today's current government there Um, and also to give uh, uh, perspective to set to make Manhattan this kind of militarized zone where people are ducking and covering and running and scrounging and surviving places like a foreign concept like what's going on what what was going on in Iraq at that time um you know what's going on in other in Syria in the past few years and just like putting it right in Manhattan so that people could read it and be like oh this is what it 's like to be in a war zone um so, the book has this journalist, uh, Matty Roft, who uh, he's a, actually a photographer originally, who goes in with this award winning journalist into the demilitarized zone. Their helicopter is shot down. The journalist that he was traveling with is supposedly killed, and he ends up running, hiding for cover. The photographer. The photographer. Yeah. He's like 20 something years old, uh, and he's kind of like a young, kind of got something to prove, wants to show everyone he's, he's got something, uh, and ends up staying in the demilitarized zone and essentially becoming a the voice of the journalistic voice of what's going on in the DMZ, uh, outside of the DMZ, it's all propaganda. Everyone says it's war torn. Everyone's crazy. It's not safe. He goes in and realizes there's a community. There's a bunch of New Yorkers who don't want to leave. That's fantastic. Um, there's really uh, you know people in there that are dedicated, like nurses and, and doctors that are dedicated to helping uh, people. Uh, this is kind of where it ties into the Wasteland Express, there are these really cool factions kind of vying for power of Manhattan. Uh, you have this really cool group of environmentalists and ex-military guys protecting Central Park, because they know mm-hmm. when the war ends, people are going to want Central Park intact. Yeah. And they are like violently protecting it, uh, people aren't allowed to enter. And they're a really cool cool group, they have a really kind of utopia thing going on, they keep a zoo intact, they got uh, food, they yep. got a greenhouse. Um, Chinatown has this really kind of interesting character who wants to be the power when the war is over. He, he would like Chinatown to be in control of Manhattan, he's a really interesting dude. Uh, and then you have this kind of, what ends up being a really cool arc in the story, um, this kind of... Uh, who is perceived as a gangbanger, uh, Parco Delgado, uh, and he ends up being like the voice for the people. He's like this kind of street-smart Bernie Sanders kind of guy who rises for power and runs for governor of Manhattan and gets into this power control, ends up kind of cool. I know there's a mission in Wasteland Express where you have to uh, transport a nuclear uh, weapon of mass destruction or something. uh, and something like that similarly happens in and DMZ, mm. uh, and it's really kind of tense and interesting. I highly questionable decisions. Questionable decisions yeah. always when dealing with WMDs. <laughs> questionable decisions. Yeah.
0: And uh, the book the book is over now. The book has finished. It's the run. The book is and, over. Yep.
1: Seventy two issues. Oh, I think from about two thousand and five two thousand and twelve. Uh, I could see uh, if I'm not going to spoil the ending of Wasteland Express or, or of, of DMZ or anything, but. Manhattan feels like a wasteland because it's war-torn and there's no, no government in power there. Um, and if things were to go wrong in that world, in that scenario that Brian Wood's kind of written, I uh, could see the end result being like the Wasteland Express, like 100 years from that storyline, this could be a thing that happens, uh, all the more uh, possible because Ricardo's art is all over this. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, highly recommend it, DMZ.
2: Okay, great. Do you want to go next? Yeah, I was uh, originally going to try and not do the obvious. Uh, Melissa and I love movies. Uh, one of the reasons we were interested in this game, and I'm sure it's one of the decisions uh, she made, was based on, we, we love Mad Max. It, it was too obvious. I wanted to try and find something else. <laughs> so I was saying The Postman, because cause the whole movie is, is about delivery. But uh, I went to watch it the other night and was just it's long and boring so and the
1: postman I, is what again the,
2: uh, the postman uh it is uh the kevin name costner. Is kevin costner kevin costner, kevin costner. <laughs> in a dystopian uh, it's not a wasteland either a post apocalypse uh revives the postal service still fun to watch i uh have a soft spot for <laughs> kevin costner's sure uh movies but but i didn't want to watch it in the end so i ended up watching uh mad max and I watched Mad Max 2, known in North America as The Road Warrior, mm-hmm. which fits this so so well. Uh, it's got the same uh, redone trucks and, and wasteland. It's it's actually a wasteland. And in the movie, the whole movie story arc is is Mel Gibson as Mad Max completing three contracts to finish the movie. <laughs> is that right? Which is exactly the same as how you win this game. Right. Awesome. He he uh, delivers. Uh, one uh, So in the movie, there's basically an enclave of the good guys who have uh, found an old oil well, are pumping that oil out uh, into an oil tanker and need to escape. Because oil is, is precious, if anybody hasn't seen Mad Max, they're in a, a post-apocalyptic wasteland. Uh, where fuel is the most precious thing to run their cars, which is ridiculous because they spend so much oil doing nothing in their cars (laughs) just running the gasoline, (laughs) circling the enclave when they could just sit still and yell at them and save so much gas. But So there's a big uh the big bad guy who looks just like uh is inspired by general torque general torque in this grand lord emperor torque is the main bad guy in in this in that is that the humongous who is always standing on his car is half naked uh has a mask is is fantastic so he he leads a bunch of ragtag uh not mutants but you know s and m geared bad guys who want to steal the oil uh Mad Max, I don't want to go through the whole thing, but uh, they're trying to find a tractor to pull uh, the oil tanker. So they need to get a rig, uh, they send out scouts in different directions, uh, Mad Max comes across one that has been uh, caught and makes a deal with the guy to bring him back to the Enclave to uh, get gas. So he says, uh, yeah, so we have a contract, we have a contract, they say contract. Every time. So, you could bring them back, the guy dies, the leader of the Enclave says, well you had a contract with him, so that doesn't count. So he's stuck there. Uh, so then he makes a deal with them because he found a truck that'll work to pull their trailer, and he makes a deal with them to go get the truck and deliver the truck back. Uh, and he does that, madness ensues, gets the truck back, says, hey we had a contract. They say, fine, well we want you to drive the truck. He says, you know, I don't want to do that, I'm, I'm going to leave. He leaves in his car. Uh, they catch him. His car explodes. They bring him back to to there, and he says, "Okay, fine. I'll I'll drive the truck." And the guy says, "You know that contracts uh, up whatever." But then he drives the truck to finish the game. So he does three contracts to finish the movie, which is what you do in this game to to win the game. So that's hilarious. I mean, thematically yeah. it is absolutely spectacular. It, it it syncs up, and you know maybe maybe Jonathan was watching that movie mm-hmm. as he skinned this game. Maybe not, but if you want to get the headspace for this game, uh, sit down, watch that movie. That's the one, and mm-hmm. it's it's spectacular.
1: Uh, uh, and it's, it's a
2: great movie. It's it's just. I mean, this whole thing is is 80s post-apocalyptic yeah, yeah. punk rock uh, movie stuff, and and that is the pinnacle of it. I mean, the first Mad Max wasn't a wasteland, right? Uh, It was sort of post-apocalyptic, dystopian. He was still a cop driving and they they kill his family and he goes mad and becomes Mad Max. Uh, Australian movie. Mad Max 2 at the time was the biggest production in Australia, the most expensive movie production. But no one knew what it was in North America. Warner Brothers had bought it. Uh, I believe they released the first Mad Max as a dub because they thought no one could understand so they even dubbed Mel Gibson <laughs> wow. uh, when they first released it here that's hilarious. so whenever they went to release Mad Max 2 they, they called it the Road Warrior since there wasn't a yeah. movie that anybody had really seen to reference it so right. it couldn't be 2 So and that's how I saw it as a kid I saw it as, as Mad Max Road Warrior right. so whenever I saw the original Mad Max after I was confused because I thought it was the second one and, and I thought that they had done a prequel mm-hmm. Uh,
1: mm-hmm.
2: I was young what did
1: I do? Interesting. As you're describing that movie, I'm thinking like, oh, that would be like a really cool expansion. Whether they could, I wouldn't necessarily want them to do it officially. But they could like rip off that uh, <laughs> that three contract scene, have a Mad maxi looking yeah, yeah. character, have his have his car or whatever he drives in that uh, that movie. Uh, mini. He drives a Ford Falcon. A Ford Falcon. Uh, the Australian version
2: of the Ford Falcon, not the American version of the Ford Falcon. But, but as you're describing, I'm even picturing like you know, going the mm-hmm. one end
1: of the board, you have to pick up the tractor or whatever, having to pick up something to, like hitch onto your car and then safely get it to the other side of the board. If raiders attack you, maybe it, like they well, take the back three spaces. I, of I three mean, they have that. That's what, you know what
2: the mean? that's what that big nuke mission is.
1: Right. You're, that kind of you're
2: picking that up and you're driving across the board and you're being chased and attacked. Uh, the whole time. Right. Uh, and some people are saying that mission is impossible. We did it wrong. The, f- the only time we had it up, we ended up using the uh, escort, which it says specifically that you're not allowed to use the escort, but uh, that note was on like the next uh, sort of page kind right. of, so I missed it. <laughs> so we did that wrong, which is the game that I could have won but lost. Uh, mm. And Melissa won right after me.
1: Also, as we were talking about the other day, Kevin Costner movies and Waterworld inevitably mm. came up. I was thinking, like, yeah, that'd oh, be cool. Great. They could have a Waterworld that'd style expansion great. where there are some, like, water based island tiles. Oh, and you yeah. have to do, like, boat upgrades to your truck and put pontoons Amphibious, on it. Or, like, uh, yeah. uh, well, yeah, they... To get to the island, you got to go under. Or, uh, That'd I mean, you cool. could
2: just redo this whole game as a as, as world. <laughs> I mean, they they do the same thing. There's floating uh, oil rigs and and enclaves everywhere, and you're you're delivering and trading in, in Waterworld water world anyway. I'm so. sure Kevin
1: Kölsner would shell the bucks to make a, a really good water world game. It would, probably,
2: yeah, it would probably sink, and you'd have to do it
0: twice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was just going to say too. I, I know it was no, it's obvious, and I've I've seen I've seen Road uh, Road Warrior a long, long time ago. But Fury Road was probably my favorite uh, movie over the last few years, and and that again, just uh, having that in mind when I first started playing this, again, obvious choice. But uh, I was thinking about other other movies as well, and it's, it doesn't really match up. Um, the road uh, based on the Cormac McCarthy book with uh, Vigo Mortensen just because in that case they're walking and they're just trying to survive day to day kind of thing so it does, doesn't quite you know get it there but it is it is a good post-apocalyptic story but I, I started you know we were each going to pick a musical cut which uh, I guess you guys will come back to in a second but I did a lot of listening over the last couple of days and th- thought about different soundtracks for, for the game um, <clears throat> the first band that, that really came to me was uh, the, the kind of industrial metal band The Ministry and um, recently when I was home, my 13-year-old nephew was getting into all the old metal bands I listened to, and he was talking about the song Jesus Built My Hot Rod. So that was the first song that came to me, but uh, uh, both The Mind is a Terrible Thing to Taste and Psalm 69 are both two great ministry ministry records which make great soundtracks for this game. Um, uh, NWO New World Order, the opening track on Psalm 69 is probably the, the best, but I was also thinking of uh, Iron Maiden's uh, Summer in Time record with songs like Wasted Years and Sea of Madness and uh, and Stranger in a Strange Land just all thematically kind of worked for me. So I, I did a lot of listening and then you know branched out um, to other things like the Reverend Horton Heat and we were talking Johnny Cash and you know there's just so much so much music you could uh, theme into this as well. But I, I think uh, you know NWO's New World Order. If I was going to pick a song to be the ultimate soundtrack song for this this game, it'd probably be that. Um, but yeah, lots of, you know, that kind of thematic music, uh, and, and it's great that we've each kind of, you know, you talked about a film, you talked about a graphic novel, and I know we all have musical cuts, but, uh, you know, you could you could pick your favorite punk, metal, industrial, country, like almost, there's so many genres that can work for this game as well for music that, uh, you know, if, if you like to, to pair uh, a soundtrack to your game.
1: And our, our hope is uh, to kind of do this type of thing with other games as well, and to pair it it musically uh, and with other pop cultural things. Um, I was saying to I think I was saying to Mitch yesterday, I'm like, it'll be really interesting when we play like a heavy Euro game like Castles of Burgundy or something, what we're able to theme it with like mm. just like uh, yeah, just fiddle music and <laughs> renaissance pastoral yeah. paintings maybe. No, Fine no, no. dining mm. background music. <laughs> Farming. 101. Mm. Um the python's
0: agrarian uh, sounds of the agrarian past there's a there's an audio track on yeah <laughs> i don't
2: think yeah. it's fair i haven't played castles of burgundy and it might you're it right. might spark yeah, it something to us fantastic. in a, a million other ways i use yeah. castles
1: of burgundy as, as an example because it is something i want to play it's, uh, one of the, yeah yeah I'm, I'm interested to see what i think of but music is something that we're all interested in we have kind of varying a, a somewhat eclectic taste you guys more eclectic than my own i think um with the hope of maybe like linking to like a playlist or or mm-hmm. some 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 examples that you could that you could find. Dave Dave has given his uh, yours and Mitch's kind of have some similarities. So I'll jump into mine. I I didn't grow up with the punk rock uh, heavy experience uh, with music that you guys did necessarily, um, and so uh, when I was thinking of, of a song and I was just uh, thinking of lyrics I. I, I went with uh, "Give Me Shelter" by the Rolling Stones, which I believe is probably more of like a Vietnam commentary than anything. It's, it's a great choice, like a 1969, 68 album, I think. Yeah, um, that fits
0: with Wasteland. Yeah, totally. Like, that opening guitar riff is just perfect.
1: The lyrics are actually really horrible. It's, it mentions children over and over again. It mentions murder and, and rape, and it's not uh, okay. Well, you're, you're losing me there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's not fun. It's like not a fun song. But the song, uh, the, the, like Dave saying earlier, like that opening riff, uh, and this, this like, kind of like howling, like. Ooh or whatever, mm-hmm. um, just feels like a, an ambient kind of backdrop for mm-hmm. this, which is kind of the the tone I took. I kind of took it as like, if the Wasteland Express was a television show, this would probably, this could be a really cool... Yeah, the old uh,
0: cassette, almost like Galax- Guardians of the Galaxy, the old cassette that's right. still in that tape deck and has been there for 20 years. This could be years. like the title
1: track theme song, yeah. where I think you guys maybe more went with like, what are these crazed truckers listening to in <laughs> yeah, the Wasteland? Maybe. Which is cool too, like I'm really mm-hmm. happy. Uh, but, yeah, um, um, What's the song I just mentioned again by the song? Gimme Shelter. <laughs> Gimme Shelter. Uh, the whole album, Let It Bleed, uh, you know, it ranges from the, that kind of blues rock, of course, to uh, some some more uh, pared down country, mm. which I argue that uh, car- like a character like Big John, you mentioned, mm. would probably be someone, even in a post apocalyptic oh, wasteland, would still be uh, listening to Old Country and Johnny oh, Cash. Sure. And stuff.
2: I can see the bandit listening to The Stones.
1: Yeah. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, me, Stones. Always Stones for every game all the time, anyways, but this one in particular.
0: Mm. Do you have a musical pairing that you want to throw in too? Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, Melissa Melissa was thinking about it too, and she she came up with that At The Drive-In song, which I wrote down, I don't remember the uh, name. Mannequin. Mannequin Republic, which Mannequin uh, Republic. She, she loved because it it just had that momentum. And I, one of the ones I picked too is the same thing, where in this game, as you move, uh, you do one selection, you get to move three, and it's, it's got a momentum that you build as your truck starts to get going across the wasteland. Uh, yeah. So then your second selection, you get to move four. And if you stay with your movement, then your next selection, you get to move five. So uh, two of the ones, the one I picked uh, was uh, Burn It by The Refused. And uh, it starts with this just slow build up, build up, build up, build up. And same with uh, Mannequin Republic by At The Drive-In. And they both have this that heavy grind once they just get going. But they they have to build into it, uh, and then today she mentioned Bloody Sunday, and it's the same thing. Uh, as Bloody Sunday by Stiff Little Fingers, where it, it just ratchets up and then screams into it once it gets going, which is which is also fantastic. It's
1: First time I heard that song, and it was a very good scream.
2: Yeah, <laughs> best rock and roll scream of all time. Uh, cool. and, then, and then for me, like any '80s punk rock is gonna fit, because just because of the theme, where it's it's that post-apocalyptic. Movies from the '80s, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, if you're listening to the Vandals, you're listening to the Subhumans, you're listening to any of that. It's it's gonna get a good vibe on this game. Adrenaline overdose. Mm-hmm. My mother can't drive. <laughs> and I'll throw in
0: one one last one, which which is uh, none of the above that we've talked about. But there's a writer that I really like called J.G. Ballard. He's a British writer died a few years ago. Um, one of his most famous books i am part of the sun is a semi-autobiographical which Spielberg made into a movie way back when but um of his fiction um crash which david cronenberg made made into a movie yeah. kind of has a little bit of appeal with the the um the cult of the automobile and the almost sexualization of the automobile crash it's the the book is 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 a really interesting read, way more than the movie. But a lot of his books are post-apocalyptic, but only slightly. And a lot of the times, it's like you know, someone's stranded in an apartment building that's you know, for security concerns, it's closed down, and there's a mall and everything. No one has to leave the apartment building anymore, Mm -hmm. and society just breaks down. So, if you're interested in kind of a more of a psychological slow read of post-apocalyptic breakdown of society, I highly recommend J.G. Ballard as a as a writer as well. uh, the, what's the one about Concrete Island is a, is a good example and High Rise is the one where he's stuck in the building Crash is a good one um, and there's another one that I'm just trying to I just can't think of um, what it's called but uh, he, he's written dozens of books and, and most of them tend to be that kind of psychological post-apocalyptic breakdown of
2: society um, kind of theme so that kind of fits in as well.
1: Cool. We didn't even
2: talk about the combat. It's combat. We didn't game. even talk
1: about the combat. A little bits
2: no. of combat that just buzz along. Yeah. yeah, really simple. Little dice throwing, there's lots of dice.
1: Mm.
2: Uh, there's so much
1: stuff in this game. It's so fun. It yeah. has, you know, I don't want to get into a huge conversation about the game again, but it has a lot of things like if you like rolling dice, you get to roll dice. Right. If you yeah. like a cool action board, that's tons awesome. Tons of, tons of management. cards to fight people, yeah. kind of managing cards a little bit, having allies yeah. that you get to add to your Building tor- your vehicle. Building your vehicle is huge. Yeah. Um, and some neat kind of Euro mechanics mm-hmm. fitting into this Ameritrash yeah. kind of And puzzling game.
2: out your movement across the wasteland is, mm-hmm. you know, where is that city, where am I going, how do I get there, yep. and Yep. how and, do I use these moves? Yeah. And if
0: you want a good laugh, I, the, the one um, uh, priority contract that's in every game is called the Blue Screen of Death, mm-hmm. and it's you have to collect these computer chips for our Commodore 128, <laughs> which is on its last leg. So anybody who grew up in the 80s with the Commodore computers, that's just an instant funny little thing that gets you laughing right out of the box. The chips
1: are referred to as artifacts.
0: Artifacts. Yes, yes, yeah. their computer chips were 128. I guess they are artifacts, aren't they? Oh.
1: Ooh, someone's here and that's going to be the end of uh this whole thing that we're calling uh, everyday meeple. Yeah, thanks uh, for listening. Yeah, you can find some show notes online whenever this goes up to where it's going. We love this game and uh we'll catch you next time. Yep.
2: Next time. i'll, see, I'll Talk to you soon.
1: Yeah. Peace.